0: Good morning, church. Good morning. You have your Bibles and stuff. those up to Acts chapter 19. chapter 19. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 11 to 41 this morning. Uh, Before we jump into that, I want to uh, open us up with a word of prayer, and then we'll recap a little bit about verses 1 through 10, and then we'll get into uh, 11 to 41. So let's pray together. Father, we come before you grateful, declaring as the song we sung that we need you. We need you more than we need anything else in this life. We need your grace and your mercy, we need your righteousness, and as we open up your word today, I pray that we would be people who desire to hear from you, that our hearts would be inclined towards seeing where maybe our lives don't line up with what you have for us in scripture and will help us to change. I pray the spirit would be powerful here today, his wisdom would pervade this time of worship, It's your son's precious name that I pray. So Acts 19, last week, we covered verses 1 through 10, where we saw Paul beginning this third missionary journey. He's made his way to Ephesus. He told them before that if he was able to come back, he would, if God would allow him to. Uh, And this is going to be uh, the primary focus of this third missionary journey. He's going to spend about three years in Ephesus when all things are said and done. And we saw where he met these 12 disciples uh, who had only been taught John's baptism and I made the case uh, because they had not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit, in fact they didn't even realize that there was a Holy Spirit, I made the case that these men were not actually believers yet. They were probably close, they had probably heard John uh, preach, heard his messages, Uh, had probably even been baptized in repentance, but not necessarily in a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, And I laid out some reasons for that. If you want to hear those, you can uh, watch our Facebook Live or uh, go online and listen to uh, the sermons. We won't get back into that. Um, But I did mention how we have a tendency to take things out of context, and that one passage is one uh, passage that is often misused to... To imply that there is a moment of salvation and then there's another moment of baptism in the Holy Spirit, uh, which will typically involve speaking in tongues and or prophecy. Uh, So we talked about uh, letting the Bible interpret the Bible. And I've pointed several verses that talk about how at the moment of our salvation, the Spirit comes to indwell us. Uh, It is the down payment for uh, our future inheritance. Uh, when we spend eternity with god uh, in his presence and so today we're actually going to run into an issue of this uh, taking things out of context as well and we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get there Uh, but we're going to begin in acts 19 we're going to read verses 11 and 12. and it says here god was performing extraordinary miracles by paul's hands so that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. And right off the bat, we start off with this idea uh, in verse 11 that God is performing extraordinary miracles. Now, miracles by themselves are extraordinary, right? If it were just something that could happen on a day-to-day basis, then it wouldn't be a miracle, would it? It would just be part of your natural day. But it says here that even these miracles were abnormal as far as miracles go, according to Luke. In John Stott's commentary on Acts, he says that the Greek word here uh, that refers to something happening via divine power through Paul's hands is dynamicis. It means power through God's ability. Right? So not something that Paul is capable of doing on his own, but this is something that is being credited to God. And so there's nothing special about Paul in this. Uh, Paul is not doing it. Uh, there's certainly nothing special about his sweaty rags. right? Like this dude wipes his face off as he's making tents or whatever, and he sets the thing down. Someone comes in snatches it, runs off to someone, hands him off, and he's coming in the next day going, where's that rag? I know I put it here somewhere, but in reality, someone's grabbing these things, they're taking them out, and through the work of God, Paul is able to heal people and drive out demons. We talked about this before throughout the book of Acts. These miracles uh, are being worked through and around Paul as a punctuation to his ministry. As Paul shares the gospel in all these different places throughout the world, these, there are times when God shows, like, yes and amen, I agree with everything that Paul has told you about me. Right? He's spreading the gospel. He's spreading the message that Jesus is the Messiah who came to atone for all the sin, for everyone who would put their faith in him. And he's telling people this is the life that he lived. This is the life that we should have lived. And he lived that way for us. Because it wasn't possible for us to live that way. And then he goes to the cross, and he dies on the cross, an atoning sacrifice for us. Perfect in every single way, God pours out his wrath on Jesus so that we might have his righteousness. This is the message that Paul is proclaiming. And then Jesus experiences resurrection on the third day, showing that his sacrifice was acceptable before God the Father, that... From there on, sin could be conquered, death could be conquered, and they no longer have any power over us. And so God, when this message goes forth, especially in these new places like Asia, God does these massive works of miracles to show, yes, and amen, everything Paul says is true. So anyone who will put their faith in Jesus and submit to his lordship are saved forever, and God wants everyone to know that here's that message, it's True. Right? It's like those political ads where, you know, somebody will say something and they say, I'm such and such and I approve this message. That's what the miracles are about. They're giving God's approval on all that Paul has been doing. Right? And as this message has gone forth, and as God has put his exclamation mark on what Paul has been teaching, uh, it shows that these miracles are out of the norm. But here, Luke says it's even different than that. And we're not given any reason why, but here in his translation, it says that he puts the word in, I'm not a Greek scholar, so let me, let me try this. Tychousius, all right? Tycusius is an adjective that he's added to the word dynamis, and it's translated in several different words in English that all roughly mean the same thing. It's special or singular, or uh, remarkable, or extraordinary. So the the miracles that are happening because of Paul's sweaty rags pulling out demons and, and causing people to be healed, these are extraordinary even in this context. And so we've seen this before though. So why, why is it important to take a moment to explain that this is extraordinary even even this but well, we going we're going back to the idea of context about not taking the bible out of context and not trying to make it mean something that it's never meant to mean right sometimes we do that accidentally and we just kind of diverge in archaeology sometimes people do it to actively take advantage of other people right so we see something uh, in our culture sometimes where you've got these preachers on television that say, hey, I've prayed over this rag, or I've wiped my sweaty brow with this rag, and for the low, low price of $99.99, you send me that, I'll send you this blessing. Right? And you can wipe it on your face, which is gross by the way, and it, it'll heal you of all your infirmities. Now, this is not what this means. This is not a a prescriptive act by God in the book of Acts. We're getting a descriptive moment in Paul's ministry. Luke is describing something that happened through the work of the Holy Spirit, by God, through Paul, and it's not supposed to be something that we are prescribed to do. Right? Like, there's, there's no benefit to you whatsoever if I get off here, wipe my sweaty face, and hand you, A sweat rag. So we must be careful about reading things like this and assuming that we are capable of doing the same thing. Luke says very clearly that even this miracle alone is extraordinary. This isn't your normal garden day variety miracle if there is any such thing as a normal miracle. Right? So we must be careful in two ways here. Number one, we must be careful when you see the, the charlatans out there that want to do this, our, our tendency is to pull back, right? We, we don't believe that anybody can be healed by the power of God anymore because we have certain people that misuse that, right? So that is a mistake on our part, right? If if God wants to heal you, he's going to heal you. Now, you don't need to order that healing like, at, like you're ordering something off of Amazon, Right? You don't have to go on Amazon to look up, you know, special healing of, of God and, and spend $99.99 to have that sent to you. You don't have to do that, but there is a clear uh, application of Scripture, especially James 5, verses 13 to 16, which says, Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they're to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. So there is healing to be had. Now, that doesn't mean that God always heals, right? When we pray, sometimes God's perfect will is that this person passes on into glory, right? But... He does heal. But that also doesn't mean that you should go to whatever tent revival you can find out there where someone's professing the ability to be able to heal and bank everything that you have on stuff like that. Right. So again, balance is important in almost every aspect of our faith. All right, if we go too far one way, we hit a wall. If we go too far the other way, we hit a different wall. And so we need to be right in the middle where we understand that not everybody that says they're able to heal you through the power of the Holy Spirit can do so, but understand that some people can be healed through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if we have people here who are suffering, then they should be prayed for. Right? And sometimes God offers that healing. But we should also remember that we gotta be careful, okay? So we find out that word gets out about Paul's proclamation, right? We, we find out that evil spirits will flee from the name of Jesus. And so continuing on, we're gonna get into one of my favorite stories in the entire book of Acts, uh, where we have some itinerant Jewish exorcists that decide they're gonna to try to incorporate the name of Jesus into their ministry and it does not go well for them. Let's look at that, verses 13 to 17. It says, Now some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the name, by the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul, but who are you?
1: And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and
0: prevailed against them, so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in highest esteem. So typically, what these itinerant Jewish uh, exorcists would do is they would they would invoke these Hebrew incantations over over people that had evil spirits. And maybe they had success, maybe they didn't I mean, We don't know. We have no idea. Um, we're not told how well this goes. Uh, but when they see how well Paul's ministry is at healing people and exercising demons out of people, they decide to incorporate the name of Jesus into their toolkit. Right? They have no relationship with Christ. They have no uh, reason to believe in the power of his name. But they believe Uh, that if Paul is having success with this, then they should be able to have success with it as well. And so they approach a man, and they try invoking the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. Not Jesus, the name above all names. Not Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Not Jesus, wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. No, they invoke the name Jesus that Paul preaches. And it is blatantly obvious that this evil spirit is not impressed with their approach. The evil spirit states that it knows Jesus. This shouldn't surprise us. We walked through the book of Matthew. We saw many occasions uh, where Jesus
1: shows himself to be known by the demons. One of the uh,
0: passages in Luke chapter four, verses 33 and 35 says, in the synagogue there was a man with an unclean demonic spirit. Who cried out with a loud voice, leave us alone. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, be silent, come out of him. And throwing him down before them, the demon came out of him without hurting him at all. So Jesus would sometimes, because the demons knew who he was, he wouldn't allow them to speak. He would not allow them to tell the people around him who he was because he didn't want it to come out that way. Right? And so the demons, they know where they stand in the presence of Jesus. They are already defeated. They know that judgment is coming, that Jesus is the one that's going to bring that judgment that's going to come to pass. And according to James chapter 2, they tremble. They know who Jesus is, and they're afraid. So this demon knows who Jesus is. And Paul, it says, the evil spirit has heard of Paul. Paul has made such an impact for the kingdom of God in the world that he's making waves in the spiritual realm to the point where at least some of those uh, evil spirits have heard of him. They know what he's doing. How would you feel about that? Just search your heart real, real quick and think about the fact that your name is on the lips of demons because of the impact that you're having for the kingdom of God. What does that do to you? Like, I was thinking about that this week. I was processing that. So I'm like, man, that is so cool the, the demons are talking about me. I don't, I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Right? Like, hey, I believe that there is power in the name of Jesus. But that doesn't mean I'm ready to try to go toe to toe with the demon. You know what I'm saying? So, um, but imagine, though, that your ministry, the work that you do on this earth, had so much of an impact spiritually that you're known in the spiritual realm. Demons are talking about what you are doing. And look, whether we're nervous about that or not, may God give all of us a ministry that affects change in this world the way that Paul's ministry has. we don't need to be afraid. We need to be courageous and walk into the darkness and push it back through the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, that's not Paul's power that he's able to do these things. That's the power of Jesus. And if we call on the name of Jesus, we have the same power that Paul has. Right? Right? It's the same Jesus. But the thing is, though, the itinerant exorcists have a problem. Jesus' name doesn't work as an incantation. Right? You can't say Jesus a hundred times and all of a sudden you're saved. You can't say Jesus a hundred times and all of a sudden all all your problems go away. The demons... Are not removed by Paul because he's somehow special or figured out how to say the name Jesus correctly the power is Jesus's power right the power is and forever will be Jesus's power and if you're not a believer in Christ you're not plugged into that power and you have no access to it because you don't have a relationship With the Father. So you have no access to the power of the Holy Spirit. You have no relationship through Jesus to the Father. And so you can say Jesus all day long and nothing is going to happen. It doesn't matter. If you want to find power in the name of Jesus, it comes from belief in him and submission to him. And even then, we're not guaranteed the power to drive out demons. If you think about the Apostle Paul, for example, if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it says there that Paul was given a messenger from Satan by God in order to keep him humble. And Paul asked God three times to remove it, and God said no. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. He said, my power is perfected in weakness. And so, you've got the Apostle Paul, who was extremely successful in releasing people from demonic oppression. He's unable to do the same for himself, and he tells us, right, that the oppression he experienced was meant to keep him humble. Right, so he could have gotten puffed up in his chest and think, well, I'm Paul, right, the demons know my name, at least some of them, right? I have the ability to heal people, I have the ability to cast out demons, I've gone to the third heaven, right? I'm Paul. But yet, God said, no, you're not going to cast this demon out. This demon is meant to keep you humble. It was meant to keep Paul reliant on God. So we have that power if we are in Christ. We have the power of Jesus because of our connection through our faith, through our submission to him. But faith in Jesus is not transferable. You can't say, well, I'm a Christian because my parents are Christian. I'm a Christian because my spouse is a Christian. I'm a Christian because my kids are Christian. Faith in Jesus is not transferable, and this power that Paul has is not transferable either. So calling on the Jesus that Paul preaches does not end well for these guys. The man with the evil spirit jumps on these men, and he beats them to a bloody pulp to the point where they had to run out of the house and naked. One of my favorite pastors to listen to is a man named Matt Chandler down in uh, Texas. And he says uh, of this passage, if you ever get into a fight and you're not sure if you won or not, this is a good gauge. If you started the fight with pants on and end the fight without pants on, you lost the fight. All right. You lost the fight. So these men found out that you don't casually throw around the name of Jesus. Right? It did not end well. There is power in Jesus, but you have to have faith to tap into it. Uh, And this story of this massive beating made its way throughout Ephesus. And so you see there, it says both Jews and Greeks heard about it, and they became afraid and the name of Jesus was held in high esteem. right? so We go from this point where people are casually using the name of Jesus. They see someone try to casually use it. The story of these men that take this beating from this evil spirit. And suddenly, they're awed by the name of Jesus. Suddenly, the name of Jesus isn't just an incantation that we might wield. But it's something that we should be careful with. We don't just use it out of place because you never know what happened. A, a demon might reach your clothes off. You just never can be sure. Right? It's after this moment that people, seeing this, decide, I need to get the occult out of my life. Check out verses 18 to 20. It says, and many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. So when we come to faith in Jesus, we should start seeing significant changes in our life. Right. Scripture talks about coming from death to life, a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Paul will talk about taking off the old man and putting on the new man or woman. Right, When honoring Jesus is our top priority, and when uh, being with Jesus is our top value, it changes the way that we live our lives. Right? It makes things look different than they were before. It changes the things that we value. As Christians, honoring God should be the most important aspect of our life. We should take a, a close, introspective look at how our lives honor God and anything that we find there that doesn't honor God, we should do our best through the power of the Holy Spirit to uproot that out of our lives. Right? Honoring God should bring us to sacrifice our life for the kingdom, for the church, for the, the laws. Right? We should make that a point in a, in a very specific aspect of our lives, our, of our ministry. And as the people of Ephesus are made aware of these things, right? As the Holy Spirit begins to do this work in their heart, they see that the occult is not where I need to be. I need to be moving closer and closer to honoring God. They decided to get rid of all their magical stuff. Alright? It says, they came confessing their sin and their evil practices. So not only do they just kind of quietly, I'm going to book in the trash. They came before the church and they said, look, this is how I've been living my life. This is not honoring to God. And so I confess my sin to you. I confess my evil practices to you. This is a way for the church to hold me accountable for the struggles that I have. Because I mean, if they've been doing this for a long time, it might be their tendency to go back towards these things. And so they're confessing it publicly. They're saying, I need you to keep a, an eye on me regarding these things. This is what I've been doing. And then they collect those books, and they burn them in front of everyone. And this is a dramatic break from their previous life. Right? This isn't this casual, like, well, I'll stop watching those things that I used to watch on Sundays, because that's the Lord's book. Right? It's not casually tiptoeing their way out of these occult practices. They're actively removing it from their life to the point where it can't come back. I'm burning this book because I want everyone to see who I once was, and this is who I am now choosing to be. And it came to great personal sacrifice to them. The books they were burning were considered to be very valuable. And depending on what commentary you read, this could range from anywhere from a couple hundred thousand, to a couple million dollars worth of books in today's money that they just set on fire. They just burned it to be rid of it. You know, somebody think, well, why wouldn't you sell that? Well, if it's not good for you, why is it good for some the person you're selling it to? Right? That would be the equivalent of today, right? You've got, you come to faith in Christ, you've got this giant porn collection, and all of a sudden you're like, well, I'll just sell this to somebody else to get out of my life and make a little coin. No. If it's not good for you, it's not good for the person that you're selling it to. Throw that mess in the pie. Throw it in the fire. So, they didn't want what was poisoning their life to further poison someone else's life. And so, they made, it, made sure that it would never poison anyone again. And they said, it on fire and burned it in front of everyone. From here, we see some future travel plans that Paul has that he wishes to undertake. Verses 21 and 22. It says, After these events, Paul resolved by the Spirit to pass to Macedonia and Achaia. Go to Jerusalem. After I've been there, he said, it is necessary for me to see Rome as well. After sending to Macedonia two of those who assisted him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. And so, if we read further into the New Testament, what we're seeing here is the plans that Paul has to collect some gifts that other churches have for the church in Jerusalem. Right now, there's a famine going on in Judea. And so the churches are coming together, they're gathering money together, and Paul is going to go to these different churches, and he's going to collect that gift and take that with him to uh, Jerusalem. And he's going to do that once he wraps up uh, his time in Ephesus. But before he gets to do that, he runs into a problem in Ephesus. Uh, Let's take a look at that, verses 23 to the end of the chapter. So about that time, there was a major disturbance about the way for a person named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, provided a great deal of business for the craftsmen. When he assembled them as well as the workers engaged in this type of business, he said, Men, you know that our prosperity is derived from this business. You see it here that not only in Ephesus but also in almost all of Asia, this man Paul has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that gods made by hands are not gods. Not only do we run a risk that our business may be discredited, but also that the temple of the great Artemis may be despised and her magnificence comes to the verge of ruin, the very one of all Asia and the world worship. When they had heard this, they were filled with rage and began to cry out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion and they rushed all together into the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's traveling companions. Although Paul wanted to go in before the people, the disciples were not led. Even some of the provincial officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent word to him, pleading with them not to venture into the amphitheater. Some were shouting one thing and some another because the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some Jews in the crowd gave instructions to Alexander after they pushed him to the front. Motioning with his hand, Alexander wanted to make his defense to the people, but when they recognized that he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. When the city clerk had calmed the crowd down, he said, People of Ephesus, what person is there who doesn't know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great Artemis and of the image that fell from heaven? Therefore, since these things are undeniable, you must keep calm and not do anything rash. For you have brought these men here who are not temple robbers or blasphemers or our goddess. So if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with them have a case against anyone, the courts are in session." And they are pro counselors. Let them bring charges against one another.
1: But if you seek anything further, it must be decided in a legal
0: assembly. In fact, we run a risk of being charged with rioting for what happened today, since there is no justification that we can give as a reason for this disturbance. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. And so you have this man named Demetrius, who was a silversmith, who made a bunch of idols of Artemis. He gathered together a group of people who had a financial stake in people purchasing these idols, right? He also makes the case, he says, well, our, our wealth is tied up in this, but also Ephesus and Artemis is going to be d- diminished if this happens. right?" I'm sorry, when you come out of the gate and say, hey, this affects our, our money, and then maybe this other thing, like we're, we know that the big issue here is that Paul is affecting your economy so he gets these men riled up and shows that, hey, maybe we should do something about this. This happens to Paul a lot. Right? They, they rile these people up. They go down into the amphitheater. They drag some of Paul's uh, uh, people with them into the amphitheater. And most of the people there don't even know why they're riding. Right? They, they're, this person's saying this thing, this person saying the other thing, and they're like, I don't know why we're here. you know why we're here? And I don't know why here. fuss let's, let's about this then? And then they do. And then that group over there is like, do you know why we're here? It's like, I think it's this, but it's not. And so they all get worked up into a frenzy. And we actually do see uh, a very wise city clerk here that comes in and calls everybody down. So these, these people aren't great robbers. They're not actively blaspheming against Artemis. And so you have no reason to riot. You have no reason to be doing this and we're likely to get in trouble if this goes any further. So Demetrius, he calls the big out by name. He's like, he's got an avenue to make this thing right. It's through the courts. If he's got a problem with these people, then he can take them to court like a you know, calm human being and we can get things done in that way. And he dispels the riot. All right. Wouldn't it be great if we had more Officials that led that way. But Paul, we see here that Paul, what he is doing in the world is changing the culture so much that it is hurting the industry of the idol makers. Paul's ministry is having so much kingdom impact that people are walking away from the idolatry that they used to have. Pray that we would have a ministry that impacts our culture this much. I pray that we would have websites that are forever taken down because no one is watching them anymore. Pray that we would be able to take down AA meetings and, and substance abuse meetings because no one's going to them anymore. We don't need them anymore. Pray that we would have the impact in our culture where we don't need divorce lawyers anymore. That we don't need abuse counselors anymore. That we would... Wreck shop on people who are making a living dealing with the sin issues of the world. And I'm not saying they're extorting people like these guys were, but I'm just saying, like, if, what would it look like in our world if the kingdom of God drove back in the darkness so much that we no longer needed these people anymore? This is what we should be praying for. This is what we should be working towards. We should grab a hold of whatever God has given us, grab a Push back on the darkness that has immediately surrounded us and make a kingdom impact. Some, for some, that's going to be a massive impact, like Paul. For others, it might just be a one-on-one impact for you know, a spouse or a sibling or a child or whatever it might be, your neighbor, co-worker, whoever it is, push back the darkness in the place that God has you. Because remember, we, we talked in Acts 17, God puts you where you are, when you are, for a purpose. And it's so that God might not be far from anyone. And that's because we're there. And we're supposed to be sharing his message, letting them know that this all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-holy and righteous God is here for you right now. And he loves you. He loves you to the point where he sacrificed Jesus for you so that you could be restored in relationship. And if we would be thankful with that, what might our world look like at the end of our life? Like may, may we push back into the darkness in such a way that people who love the darkness and hate the light would want to ride against us because we are jacking up their world. May we have an impact to the point where the demons know our name. I might not know that God, but I've heard of him. Maybe we have impact to the point where, because of us, heaven is overflowing with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, worshiping around the throne screaming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But to do that, we must consider, what is your relationship with the name of Jesus? Are you using it in the way that somebody else, you think somebody else is using it, the way that itinerant Jewish exorcists were doing? I call the name of Jesus that Chris preaches. Mm. That's not going to go well for you. That's not going to go well for you. Uh, we have had a personal relationship with the name of Jesus that lends itself to our salvation. We come to faith knowing that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We are separated from God forever because of that sin. And when we put our faith in Jesus and we submit to His Lordship, we will have power in the name of Jesus. Do you have that today? If not, why not? What's holding you back? And if that's something that we need to have a conversation with, about, let's do that. Or maybe you're at a place here where you have, like these people that were burning these books, you're like, I know that there is something in my life that I've got to get out of my life.
1: It does not honor God, it does not represent Christ well,
0: I need to confess that, and I need somebody to help me walk through it and away from it. I'm here for that. Your church is here for that. It's point pointless being here. So maybe that's where you're at in your relationship. It's not necessarily that you're coming to faith, but that now, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is opening your eyes to the change that needs to happen in your life. And now is the time to confess that sin and to walk away from these evil practices that you pursued previously. maybe you're one of these people that have had success in overcoming these things. You need to be available to your brothers and sisters in Christ to help them overcome the way that you overcome. Right? We grab a hold of the hand of someone that's more mature than us and we grab a hold of the hand of someone who's less mature than us and we march our way into heaven. Where are you at in that process? Think about that as we pray. Father, I love your word. I love how it speaks directly into our lives and it can change us if we will let it. And I pray that our hearts would be open to that change here this morning. That we would see, maybe for the first time, I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I need that relationship. Lord, would you open eyes to the truth of that? Would you open hearts to see their need for the Savior? Or maybe it's that we have that relationship but we're not far into it and we need to be um, changed we are the old man to die and the, the new man to, to manifest in a way that shows that we love you that you honoring you and bringing you glory is the most important aspect of our life and we need to confess sin and we need to work to remove ourselves from these things that are dragging us down back in our lives. And if that's anyone here today, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they make that confession. That they would strive towards um, bringing honor and glory to your name. And Lord, maybe it's uh, the condition of the church now that where we need to be open-handed with our time, our talent, our treasure. And we need to say, hey, if you need uh, a part of my life to help you uh, be discipled and to grow, and to learn, then I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to sacrifice so that you might have uh, growth in these areas. So, Lord, help us to see where we're at in this today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move us into action. There should always be action uh, based on our time of your word. And I pray that Holy Spirit would show each one of us here today what we need to be doing so that we can push back the darkness in this, in this uh, community and uh, in our world. We love you. It's in your Sunday night, and I pray.